no, it has to be you. You're the only one that can keep fighting for what we believe in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we have, we have so many gains that we've made that'll go backwards if you, it's not you, you know? So they just asked me and asked me and asked me. And they say, you have to ask a, a woman a hundred times before she'll consider running for office. Well, that was certainly what happened in my case. That was San Francisco's District 9 Supervisor, Hillary Ronan. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this podcast, Hillary picks up where she left off in part one, with her work at La Raza Centro Legal in the Mission. When she heard about an opening at then D9 Supervisor David Campos's office, she applied and got the job. Fast forward to 2016, when Hillary was tapped to run to replace Campos. She shares a bittersweet election night victory in November that year. Her time in office, her work with former Mayor Ed Lee, and her hopes of being re-elected this year to serve another four years on the Board of Supervisors. Here's Hillary. I was super lucky. Um, a friend of a friend was moving out of her apartment in Vernal Heights on Mirabel Avenue. Um, it was like a, a kind of a mix between a studio and a one bedroom. It sort of was like one of those track track studios. It was a, it was a converted attic okay. um, into an apartment. Um, oh, I loved that house so much, and um, <laughs> it was beautiful. It had a it had a, like a, a fire escape and a full window overlooking um, the mission, and kind of right right in front of uh, South Venice. And, um, oh, it was just such an amazing apartment. And it was a thousand dollars at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I split it with my husband at the time who had come from the Dominican Republic. Okay. So I was paying $500 rent. Um, I was earning $37,000 a year at La Raza as a lawyer. And I was doing just fine. I was, I was saving money. I, um, my law school paid back my loans because I was doing social justice work and earning um, a, a, a really low income. Even for the time, it was low-ish. Right. Um, and so I didn't have law school loans to pay back. Wow. My rent was five hundred dollars, and it was I was living like I was living in Barcelona. Like I was, I could cover my food and my expenses, and I didn't live a lavish life in any way, but I. I lived great. I had no complaints and I was loving San Francisco and I was able to be a nonprofit lawyer and and there were like the vibrant arts community in in the mission at the time and you know it wasn't that people weren't being displaced it was the first wave of gentrification and and the tech boom and the displacement before the bubble burst and um so there were fights going on the mission and um, uh, anti-displacement movement was alive and well, mm-hmm. um, but it was still possible not to be rich and to live in San Francisco. Yes, it was. Can you and- talk a little bit, in in addition to the work, um, which sounds like it was a lot, maybe um, took a lot of your time, but in addition to that apartment, uh, that cool little studio, um, and your work, what was San Francisco like and what kind of things you know, outside of work, did you find yourself doing in this new city, new to yeah. you? 
Yeah. Oh gosh, it was such a great time in San Francisco. It was like, it was, um, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was living my dream. I wanted to be an activist. I wanted to, uh, fight for systemic change. Uh, I wanted to fight with and alongside and for, um, you know, oppressed communities. And I was doing all of that. And I was doing it in a way that felt responsible and authentic and accountable uh, to the community I was working with. I was learning every day. Um, I learned to become a tough negotiator. I learned to organize and build uh, organizations that had uh, democratic principles. Um, I, 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 I worked as a lawyer, but it was, I worked more, I ended up being more of an organizer and an activist than a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, uh, represent several people before the California labor commissioner. I filed only one lawsuit. I was actually sued before I had ever sued anyone. Okay. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I was, I, I organized a protest out front, outside of a employer's home. And the employer got very angry and sued me to stop me from doing that. We would organize these six o'clock in the morning protests and we would descend upon the employer's home and say, you know, do chants and say, say your pay your workers. And we eventually got the wages back for yes. the workers. And it was, it was amazing. And yeah, no, my time at La Rosa was, was incredible. And, and at the time I was, you know, um, my first husband had moved from the Dominican Republic um, and, and was getting used to the city and um, he's a graphic designer. So he, you know, was really engaged in the art community and mm-hmm. um, got a job with Design Action Collective, which okay. is an activist, activist uh, graphic design co- uh, cooperative. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we, we just had this incredible community of artists and activist lawyers and, um, you know, uh, activist nonprofits, and we were living the life in San Francisco as young people. I'm still young back then, and we, we, right. <laughs> and we, um, you know, would go to shows and 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 festivals, and oh, it was just, and and we didn't need to make a lot of money to to live really decent life. Do you want to name drop um, some restaurants that maybe? as a new San Franciscan restaurant <laughs> or, or like you said, clubs or like, I'm, and I'm sure half of them aren't around anymore, but sure, I mean, let's reminisce. Of course. I mean, a lot of them are still around thinking and hanging Good. on by a string. Some have changed ownership. I mean, I remember we always would walk down to Jasmine Tea House and get mm-hmm. their uh, combination wonton soup. It's still around but changed ownership. <laughs> Right. Um, right by La Raza, we would go to Puerto Alegre all the time after work. And get, My favorite. Get, you know, uh, margaritas and, and mm-hmm. salsa. Mm-hmm. Um, we would go to the Latin American club, mm-hmm. which you have to be very careful with their margaritas because one... They're served in pint glasses. And they are the strongest. I, mean, I once had two and it was the worst mistake of my life. Yeah. Um, the one, one margarita from Latin American club. Yes. Um, where else would we go back then? Dance at the elbow room and- um, The makeout room across from- Yeah, we'd go there and we would, um, the makeout room and the elbow room, right? There were the mm-hmm. both of them. 
and we would go to, um, you know, we'd go to Dolores Park and, and, and watch the, the plays, uh, the free plays uh, put on by the Mime Troop plays, which were brand new to me at the time. I'd never yep. seen one. And um, yeah, just walk around Carnival, uh, the Lowriders, and you know, all of, you know, there's a lot of them, a lot are still surviving, but hanging on, um, you know, by a thread, Sunrise Cafe, uh, all, yeah, all those, all those places. Um, but yeah, it was, it was such an, uh, such a beautiful time. And, um, and then, and then I ended up, um, my husband and I broke up because the culture clash was just too big, I think, but we're still really good friends and, mm -hmm. and love each other a lot. And does he still um, live in the city or did he? He lives in Oakland now. Okay. Uh, where, um, where Design Action Collective is. Okay. Is um, and it was a hard breakup, but, but ended really well. And we both met the right people for us and, and, and still see each other and, and laugh at the old times. Um, cool. but, uh, that was, the, you know, sort of the second, um, period of my life where, uh, I was working at La Raza and my, my now husband of, um, you know, we're going to be married 10 years together, 12 years, wow. uh, now worked as a lawyer doing immigrant rights at Dolores Street Community Services. Okay. While I was working as a lawyer doing immigrant rights at, uh, La Raza Central Legal, I lived at the time because I moved out of my Mirabelle house after after I broke up with my first husband and, and moved into a studio at 23rd and um, and San Jose, like okay. right in Mission. Yeah. And Francisco, my my husband now, lived on um, I think it was 25th and Guerrero, oh. and then both of our jobs were on Valencia Street, and so we would walk to work and home from work every day and bump into each other. And we knew each other through mutual friends, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, so we weren't strangers, but we didn't know each other well. And we bumped into each other and we kept making jokes about it. And then, you know, we started flirting and one thing happened to another. And 12 years later, we have a seven-year-old daughter and a guinea yes. pig. <laughs> and I just gotta congratulate you on the guinea pig. Uh, Thank you. I've been following Thank that on, on social media. <laughs> um, no, it's a, it's a new family member. It's a new, for sure. With the Domestic Worker Coalition and the Women's Collective at La Raza Central Legal, I helped write the first version of the Domestic Worker Bill of Rights that Tom Amiano introduced um, in the State Assembly and eventually became law in California. And awesome. I loved writing the law because I was so frustrated of, you know, every day labor in San Francisco has worked and been ripped off. It's like so commonplace, it's so awful. And um, I had been, you know, for six years going after after those wages in every single case. It, and it was like a band-aid. I was just going after wages, going after wages. We got a lot of them back. We didn't get a lot of them back. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, what was really disheartening about the experience is usually the people exploiting day laborers were only rung, one rung up the ladder in mm -hmm. terms of wealth. I mean, they mm -hmm. were like, you know, independent, 
small scale construction workers and then they would rip off hmm. laborers who were at the bottom of the ladder, right? And so it wasn't, it, it, it was just depressing, quite frankly. It was mm-hmm. just poor people exploiting poor people. And right. it wasn't, I wasn't really going after the type of systemic change that I wanted to see, right. uh, which is the, the real, the real bad guys, the big, the owners, and the, the, you know, the, the, the multi, you know, the ones that all the laws are rigged to protect and to give tax breaks to while the rest of us pay through the teeth, all that kind of stuff. Right. It wasn't happening. I was doing something good, but it wasn't happening. And when I wrote, or we wrote the domestic worker bill of rights, mm-hmm. um, that was going to that was going to systemically change the law to impact an entire group of workers um they were generally those who could hire domestic workers were usually much more wealthy than the the low-level contractors so i felt like we were we're moving up the the economic ladder in terms of those exploiting a workforce and um I, i i just loved it and all of a sudden um David Campos, and it's funny because I didn't support David Campos when he ran for office. I supported Eric Casada, who was a friend of mine and and a long-term mission anti-displacement activist. He was the executive director of Dolores Street Community Services and and later passed away quite young from cancer, Mm -hmm. Uh, but was a hero to so many of us. I, I had supported Eric. And so, um, but all of us, including Eric, fell deeply in love with David Campos when he was fighting um, to protect undocumented immigrant youth that Gavin Newsom at the time was was uh, helping immigration authorities deport. Mm. And so- um, would this would, have, would Did David come in around 08? Was he elected in 08, am I? Yes. Okay. Yes. And Newsom was, and was still-, still- and still was mayor. Still the mayor, and I was at La Raza at this time. Okay. And so he had an opening for a legislative aid, and I thought, oh my gosh, here's like a perfect opportunity. Even though I was still loving my job at the time, I was like, I could work on systemic change. I could write laws. I could do it locally because you know I'm very into working locally. I, I like to see the people I'm working with and work alongside them. I I don't like to be removed. And I was like, um, this sounds really fun. And so I applied for the job. I think like 280 people or something had applied for the job. Uh, I found out only later. Um, and my soon to become coworker, Sheila Chunhagen, his other legislative aide, um, created this like very difficult test. And you had to take two tests and you had to, you know, be interviewed several times, which is so Sheila to do, to do this. <laughs> and um, I loved it. I loved every part of it because I I only wanted to leave La Raza and do the job if if like I could really be radical and do the work I wanted to do. And so I didn't hold back. I wasn't I didn't need I wasn't desperate for the job. I was um I was really happy at La Raza, but I wanted to, you know, was thinking of a change. And so I was just myself a hundred percent and I remember the questions they asked. I didn't try to be KG or political about it. I was just, you know, one. There was a hypothetical of, you know, what would you do if parents at a at a at a school were complaining about the taco truck, you know, in front of the school, um, you know, what would you do? And I was like, well, first I would try to see if there was a way for the school to use the taco truck's food 
um, you know, in some way to give them more economic opportunity. But if it came down to it, I'd fight for the rights of the taco truck. You know, like I was, <laughs> I was just, I was still in my like worker rights, you know. Yes. And of course, David and Sheila are as radical as I am. So they loved me. <laughs> they hired me. And I ended up working for David um, for, you know, six and a half years uh, as a legislative aide and loved, loved every minute of it. Um, so you must have come in a little after he, after his term started? Okay, got About it. a year and a half, yeah. Okay. So, and um, I stayed with him to the very end and, um, you know, he, he, I've had three, really, three really great mentors in my life. One of them, Renee Salcedo, another one, uh, Guillermina Castellanos, who runs the Women's Collective of the San Francisco Day Labor Program, um, and and just taught me a whole a whole other way of having courage and and being accountable to community, and then David Campos, um, and so um, they were my 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 three great mentors in my life, and we you know fought and won battle after battle. And um, I had never thought about running for office and kind of had assumed that um, a Latino leader in the mission would would follow David's footsteps and that I would follow David wherever he went at the time. And um, unfortunately, all of the leaders that we trusted and that shared our politics wouldn't run. Hmm. And so David and um, my co my coworker at the time, Nate Alvey, were pushing me to run, and I was like, "No way! I, you know, I'm not. I, I've never thought of running for office. It's not my dream. This is not what I want to do." Were um, you part of David's uh, reelection campaign in twelve? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. you had, was, and was that your first election? Like you know that type of election to be really close to or? Yeah. Yes. So you had seen firsthand what an election was. Well, and his election campaign was easy. Re-election campaign was easy because he basically ran unopposed. Right. But I was really involved in his assembly race. Um, oh, okay. Shoe. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Sadly, we barely lost that one. But mm -hmm. um, that, yeah. So I, yeah. So you were you were battle tested. It wasn't a, it wasn't an abstract thing. Just putting yourself. I don't know about that. <laughs> Being a candidate is a whole other thing, and yeah. then working on a campaign. It's oh my right. gosh, it's so hard. Yeah. So David and Nate worked on me, and at, like, no, it has to be you. You're the only one that can keep fighting for what we believe in. You know, blah blah. blah. And we have we have so many gains that we've made that'll go backwards if you, it's not you. You know. So they just asked me and asked me and asked me. And they say you have to ask a, a woman a hundred times before she'll consider running for office. Well, that was certainly what happened in my case. I was like, I didn't even, it had never occurred to me to run for office. Like it, right. it wasn't, it wasn't just not my dream. It literally had not crossed my mind as an option. Mm -hmm. I was so not there mentally. Mm -hmm. And then um, when you get asked a hundred times, you start thinking about it. And then I was like, well, I guess I could do this. I guess I'm going to be out of the job anyway. I don't want to practice law. That was never, despite the fact that I became a lawyer, it, just, it was just never, it never drew me in. I didn't like litigating. Um, and I'm really good at this. I know how to do this. I know City Hall inside and out. I know how to fight for the communities I care about and win. I guess I should do this. So I decided to run for office. And Talks with your husband or? 
he was like, huh, <laughs> like, are we really going to do this? Um, but then he was like, of course, I'll support you. It, you know, it, you would be great at this, anything you want. And he awesome. was very, very supportive. Okay. And, um, and, you know, I figured I'm never going to do an easy job. Like, I'm always going to be uh, fighting, uh, you know, fighting for people that, um, you know, don't have much in the world against very powerful forces mm -hmm. who want the system as is. Mm -hmm. So I might as well run for office. Like it's not, no job I'm ever going to have. It's going to be easy. And so I, that's what I did. And and, I and you became uh, not the, not the only Hillary on the ballot in 2016. That's right. That's right. You were the other Hillary. Yeah. I ran for office. It was a really hard fought campaign. It was brutal. And, um, and we won pretty definitively, I think. Who was your main opponent? I'm forgetting. Joshua Arce. Okay. And um, he now works for the mayor, which is not surprising. That's, mm -hmm. you know, I often am, am at odds with the mayor and he works for her, which was precisely why I fought so hard to win because, um, you know, there really are two sort of, sort of political groupings in the city, uh, mm -hmm. two or three, and then we were not on the same on the same one right. and I didn't want to he probably would have won if I hadn't run and that was mm. that was a that was a deciding factor for me I really I, I did not want the politics of district nine to change and I wanted someone I knew was going to fight as hard for the district as I would and and so that's why I ran so you're <laughs> winning I'm just going to take uh myself and you and the listeners to of this podcast back you were a bright, positive, your winning was a bright, positive spot on an otherwise traumatic um, and very depressing night. Can you talk about what that was like for you personally to be like, uh -huh. it was awful. It was awful. Talk about a buzzkill too. I had yeah. worked so hard on that campaign mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, pretty much when the first returns came back, we knew I, w I was going to win. And so it should have been, you know, just like a day of complete glory and celebration. And it was anything but. In um, a weird way, it's it for me, it was the, um, or thinking about it now, it was the opposite of 08 when like my friends and I had a party, we were starting, we literally came out of the in my apartment on 20th street to walk over to Dolores park. We were carrying bottles of champagne because that's totally. just what happened. And then by thing. the time we eventually got to the Castro was when they announced prop eight and it was, so it's like local totally. buzzkill national seller, but it felt weird. Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess that happens in every election, but not quite so starkly yeah. as the president of the United States being Donald Trump, which you know, four years later is hard to believe mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. in our lifetimes. But um, enough about him. Let's talk about yeah. So yeah, it was it was a, a moment where you know a lot changed in my head, and I had to, you know, I was devastated, and I had to be a leader, you know, and give people right. hope and get up on stage and say, we're going to make it through this and we're going to kick him out of there in four years. And in, we're going to do everything in our power to protect um, our democracy and, and use our local government as a buffer to the federal government. Um, and, 
and that's what we've done. And, but it was, you know, it was that moment of, God, I just want to go home and cry, but I can't, I have to stand up in front of a crowd and set the tone for this mm-hmm. crowd um, and cannot just go wallow in self-pity, but have to, you know, make people feel okay. And mm-hmm. it was sort of an early lesson. And this is what it means to be a public official and, and, or an elected official and uh, that you, you, you've got to, you've got to stand up and be brave and, 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 and be solid for the people you represent because that's who they look to. And that's precisely what number 45 does not do. He does the opposite. He, you know, invokes fear and distrust and turns communities against one another. And I mean, he's, he's the example of what not to be as a leader. Um, but, but most leaders and, you know, I'm, I, I, I like, I liked Barack Obama, but you know, I'm a, Bernie Sanders kind of person. So there was a lot that that Obama did that I deeply disagreed with. But the one thing he did is he he gave us confidence and hope in hard times, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in droves. And uh, I really much admired him for that. And mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's been it's been a huge learning process. It's been the most challenging job by far that I've ever had it every day is a new learning experience um getting criticized brutally no matter what you do is hard you have to build a thick skin quickly um you you know you make big and small decisions every single day and it's not always obvious what the right thing to do is and many times it is and but many times it isn't and um you just have to do the best you can every step of the way and and just know that part of the job is that no matter what you do, you're going to get brutally criticized. Right. There's no, yeah. I, I, I've developed a, a really tough skin, uh, you know, during this time. And I've also, um, I also feel for politicians in a way that I never did. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I used to brutally criticize politicians too. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little nicer now, which doesn't mean I don't criticize. It just means I'm a little bit more forgiving and understanding Empathetic. the realities that they operate in, you know? Yeah. yeah. You understand more what they might be up against and the pressures and the, the pressures. And also what, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's like, you you give your heart and soul and win the toughest battle in the world and you get two seconds to pat yourself on the back and be excited and then 500 people are saying why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that? you know like it's never enough and it, and it shouldn't be it's it's the job it, you know yeah. but it's, it's really hard it's a hard job if you will talk about the passing of ed lee um yeah. and then you are you are running again this year correct i am Yes. So those two things, if we can. Yes, sort of end for that. Okay. Yeah. So the passing of Ed Lee, it, you know, it was interesting because I ran more against Ed Lee than I did against Josh Arce because Josh, because Ed Lee had endorsed Arce and um, I felt was really running the city in the wrong way at the time. And so I, I, I didn't criticize Josh very much and. Mm-hmm. When I was ru- when I was running, I criticized Ed Lee a lot. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was one of the first people to like just openly and brutally criticize him. And so when um, I became elected and started working with him, I was like, "Oh God, this is going to be uncomfortable." You know, <laughs> I I had said some pretty 
ruthless and brutal things to him. Okay. When, um, or about him, I should say. And when the, you know, the first thing that I worked on was the raging homeless crisis in my district. I'm still working on it. But um, there were 260 tents with about 500 people living in the streets of the mission, if you remember. Um, mm-hmm. They were everywhere. And it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay for anyone. It wasn't safe. It wasn't okay for people that were unhoused. It wasn't safe for the people that were housed. And it was just so wrong. And I worked really hard to try to fix it. And I needed, I needed, the city departments to work with me and you know very sadly nowadays um mohammed nuru at the time was really helpful in, mm. in fixing the crisis mm-hmm. on the mission and he was close to ed lee and he brokered a meeting with me and ed lee to talk about it and okay. to ed's credit he was so kind mm. he didn't seem to hold any grudges against me um, he wanted to work hard with me to fix it. He thought it was unacceptable as well. And he teamed up with me um, mm. to, to fix the situation in the mission. And it was a big learning lesson for me because I, I thought to myself, wow, first of all, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> you know, behind the scenes, I might disagree with him politically, but he is the nicest person. He was just You're funny, not. fun, and sweet, and kind. And You're not the first person to tell me that. Yeah. And he, um, and then he was, you know, he didn't take it personally either. He had a thick skin and he was like, sure, we disagree on a lot. And you spoke about me in a way I don't appreciate, but what's more important right now is we have to get people experiencing homelessness safely indoors and we have to fix the situation the mission and we teamed up and we did that together okay so i had i had developed a really a a, a complicated feelings about him mm-hmm. because while i still disagreed with a lot of what he did uh to lead san francisco at the time i had a lot of appreciation for who he was as a mm-hmm. person and also how he treated me and how he treated the unhoused population in the mission he he cared genuinely about mm-hmm. those people um and he would come out and talk to people and you could just you could just see he was natural with them mm-hmm. it wasn't fake or put on or a politi- publicity stunt it was real mm-hmm. he was relating to people in a real way and he cared about them. And so my feelings about Ed Lee and I was very sad when he passed away. And um, I have like, I have really, you know, really complicated feelings for him. I really, I really appreciated him um, a lot more when I was able to work with him. Right. And sadly, that has not been the same with with London Breed, which is sad. You can talk about that if you want. I was going to ask um, if the thought ever ran through your mind of running um, back in the special election. No. <laughs> You're like, I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good being a supervisor. I, you know, maybe one day, um, but I have a seven-year-old, as you've seen, mm-hmm. and it is so hard being the mom that I want to be to my mm-hmm. daughter as a supervisor because this is an all-encompassing job. Um, there would be no way I could be the mom I wanted to be and be the mayor of the city and county of San Francisco. It's a nonstop job. And, and I just don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the mom I would want to be and I wouldn't be the mayor I would want to be. Right. 
because yeah. I just, I can't do them both together. And I, you know, I struggle enough doing the supervisor and mom, but I'm pulling that off. I'm making that happen. Which um, is a perfect segue. If perfect we can. Segue. I'm running again for office. Um, it's an election year. It's an election year. I'm running for a uh, city to, to continue being the supervisor of district nine for another four years. Um, it's just, it, as I said, it's been a great honor. We've accomplished so much. I want to, I, I'm still young enough and energetic enough to do this job with everything I've got and to do it well. And I've learned how to be the mom I want to be and still do this job. And so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be running for reelection. What are maybe the top two things you hope to accomplish if you're given a second term? Well, I, you know, the, I know that's not easy. Oh, no, no, no. Do, it, it is but... easy, actually. Um, oh, okay. I, 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 and I, I know there's going to be new things. Um, and of course, there's going to be the recovery. With, We're in one right now. Yeah. But I have to say the two things that have been my heart and soul my first term are probably going to continue to be my heart and soul the second term with some new things, I'm sure. Um, because uh, they're not quick fixes, right? Mm -hmm. So I, um, and, and, you know, I've worked on so much, but the things I, 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 that are, that are not finished are truly, truly fixing the homeless crisis on the streets of, of the mission. Um, <laughs> it's never been, it's never felt right for, to me. It's never been right. It's not right for anyone. It's not safe for anyone. And we cannot, our solution to homelessness cannot be to set up tents on city streets. Um, it, 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 it's not dignified, it's not fair. Right. Um, and, and related to that is mental health SF. So we unanimously passed a law to create uh, a fixed mental health and uh, system for those that are severely addicted to drugs. Um, it's a beautiful law, it will fix our system. My dear, deep sadness is that uh, we had a whole plan, it was going perfectly, and then COVID hit. And mm -hmm. um, we now have a, a billion dollar hole in our budget, and I don't, I'm, I have yet to know how that's gonna impact Mental Health SF. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am really uh, hell-bent on um, implementing that law and, and fixing the homeless crisis and the mission. And then finally, you know, I've always had a goal of by the time I, we, you know, leave office um, of having left behind 5,000 units of permanent affordable housing in the district. Uh, I'm a little behind on that goal. Um, we're around, uh, you know, 1,600 or so um, right now. And um, it's gonna, again, always gets harder. Like that goal I set before Trump was the president and rolled everything back. I thought it was going to be Hillary Clinton presidency and we were going to get some federal help and dollars to accomplish that goal. That right. didn't happen, but I was like, I'm still not going to change my goal because we got to do it. And so I've been fighting, fighting, fighting with the community to make this happen. And then the COVID-19 happens and we have a billion dollar hole. So, you know, every time I think we're going to do it anyway, we're going to do it anyway. There comes another major challenge that puts, takes us off track, but uh, I'm never going to change my goal. Um, we have to have high ambitious goals and we have to do everything in our power to achieve them if we're going to accomplish the impossible. And the, the impossible is making sure 
that the middle and working class of San Francisco can continue to live in the city because they are what makes it great. <laughs> and um, we can't let this be a city only for the rich. I, I, I refuse to let that happen. That was Hillary Ronan. Join us next week when we'll get to know lifelong San Franciscan journalist Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes and help support us by buying merch from our store. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you see an option to rate and review the show, we'd sure appreciate it. And if you have any feedback for us or people you think should be on the podcast, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay healthy and stay safe. <laughs>